everyone, it's Carl, and this is another episode of Startup Notes Podcast. Today we're continuing our book, Peak Performance Selling, and we're going to continue our chapter where we left off. The chapter is number seven, What Self-Sabotaging Fears Can Do to Your Sales Performance. Uh, in the last episode, I didn't finish this chapter, and now we're going to try to do that. Let's go. Waiting the benefits of tackling fears. Take some time now to list at least 10 benefits for not doing something you think you are afraid of. Whether they involve fears of rejection, embarrassment, failure, or success, listen, uh, list 10 reasons you could, have, you could have for using an avoidance behavior to achieve an unconscious hidden goal. An avoidance behavior I have used, for example, is avoiding a call to the meeting, to the meeting planner, to commit to a speaking date. If I don't call the meeting planner, I won't have to lose sleep the night before the presentation. I won't experience anxiety thinking about it. My anxiety won't increase when my wife asks me what I'm going to speak about in the program. I won't have to go to the library and spend four hours researching to tailor my topic to the group's needs. I won't have to vividly recall my sleepless nights. I won't be distracted from doing other activities because I'm preoccupied with the upcoming presentation. I won't have to face embarrassing questions after my presentation. I won't have to deal with the group if they don't like my presentation. I won't have to worry about making future presentations to the same group. I, w I won't have to make future choices about whether or not I should stay in my current career. By listing the behaviors of using, by listing the benefits of using avoidance behaviors, I'm putting a worse on those benefits. But doing this. I then can weight them against the favorable benefits of calling a meeting planner. Next, I would like you to write down the benefits of doing something you might be afraid to do. For example, if you shy away from marketing calls, make a list of the positive benefits you get from making the calls. Um, Next, I would like you to write down the benefits of doing something you might be afraid to do. For example, if you shy away from marketing calls, make a list of the positive benefits you get from making the calls. The benefits I might get, get from making that meeting planner to commit to a date might include the following. I'd make money from the speech, I'd be able to travel to a different part of the world, I'd get applause after my presentation, people would flock to the front of the room asking for autograph, copies of my book afterward, I might receive more respect from my family. Once you have written down the benefits of not doing an activity, as well as the benefits of doing it, you should be able to weight one against the other because you're basing the decision on knowledge of both sides of the issue. This method is 
a very cognitive approach to determine whether or not a behavior is worthwhile. All activities have a plus and a minus side. We've all sat down at one, at one time or another and listed the benefits versus the drawbacks of doing something. Uh, maybe it was accepting a lucrative job offer with a less than stable startup company, or maybe it was deciding whether or not to go back to school. To make intelligent decisions about something, we have to know the downside as well as the upside. If you refuse to weight your options, you are simply telling yourself you have no control over your own behavior. On the other hand, if you convince yourself that everything you do is in some way useful to you, you'll be taking on more responsibility for your actions. You'll be able to make clear business and personal decisions. If you decide not to make prospecting phone calls, at least you will be aware of the benefits you think you are receiving as a result. When I worked as a consultant for a major computer firm, I came across a producer selling network servers to a larger corporations. His name was Mel. I asked Mel one day, when you look at ways to increase production, have you found anything about the jobs that motivates you? Mel confided to me that money was not all that important to him. What he really wanted was a chance to move up in the company. When I began working with him to outline a game plan for getting to the top of his company, he stopped me abruptly. He said, when I really think about it, I guess I really don't want my boss's job. My boss has no power, lots of problems, and too many conf conflicts in his career. I really don't want that. So Mel was actually avoiding the opportunity to increase his sales production to prevent the risk of not being promoted. He eased up on his productivity because he had perceived definite benefits from not achieving superstar sales production. If his sales rose too high, he would likely be promoted, get more money and be pushed into a managerial position he didn't want. For Mel, the promotion and money did not overweight the drawbacks of the managerial position. Are you like Mel? Have you consciously or unconsciously decided that you do not want the rewards and problems that success brings? Are you artificially keeping your production low by avoiding phone calls, spending a lot of social time with associates in your office, coming to work late, leaving early, or not reading books that could help develop your sales skills? Is this an unconscious strategy you are using to achieve your own preset goal? After you have weighted the cost of not changing against the benefits of changing, you can decide whether to go through what could be a painful process of reworking certain behaviors. Just like Mel, you may realize that the action involved in changing is not so difficult. But the results are not what you want. In that case, you would simply stay where you are. On the other hand, 
if you find that the benefits far outweigh the drawbacks, then you must determine how you want to change. How do you want to change? Ask yourself the following questions. When do you want to change? What is prompting you to change? What specifically would you like to change? What avoidance behaviors might you be using to avoid changing? So those are really important questions. You can write them down and answer them for yourself. And right now, for example, I'm thinking about these questions. And let's say first questions, when do you want to change? I want to change like in the next year. What is prompting you to change? Uh, I'm being prompted to change because I need to grow like my agency, let's say. And then the third question, what specifically would you like to change? I would like to change my sales skills so that like my communication skills, I want to change them to a better place to increase them. And the fourth question, what avoidance behaviors might you be using to avoid changing? I would say for me, it's just procrastination. I just do anything except sales. <laughs> uh, yeah. So change involves effort and risk. But if you have enough desire to change, that effort won't seem as difficult and the risk won't seem as fearsome. Rarely do any of us map out the four steps above when we want to change behavior patterns. But if we really want to change, looking hard at our answers to these questions will make the process easier. All right, I really liked that message. Let's move on. Bethany. A real estate agent I worked with wanted to change her behavior to make more money. She wanted to change within 30 days. She was tired of netting only a few hundred dollars per month over her expenses. She wanted to be able to knock on at least 10 doors each day and ask people if they wanted to list their homes. She realized she was rationalizing that she was too busy showing houses or doing paperwork in her office to knock on prospects' doors. Once Bethany knew when she wanted to change, exactly what was prompting her to change and the avoidance behaviors she was using to sabotage herself, she was well, well armed to make that change. Play therapy. Sometimes people sabotage their productivity by taking themselves too seriously. They are paralyzed in making decisions because they put too much importance on the possible outcomes of their decisions. Remember, the decisions you make on a daily basis will not substantially make or break your sales career. Your career is a coordination of weeks, months, and years of effort. The actions of only very few of us have as huge an impact as those of the President of the United States, who, by doing something uh, as unconscious as forgetting to shake the hand of a dignitary 
from another nation could align that other nation with a competing power. Play therapy is a, is a means not of making a game out of what we do, but of taking frequent fun breaks throughout the day. It is far more difficult to use avoidance behaviors or feel the stressful effects of our fears if we enjoy ourselves during the day. When you use humor with prospects, some of the pressure disappears. You will have less of a chance of rejection and a more receptive audience for your proposal. When you can have fun in your conversations with the prospects, you greatly increase the chance that you will call another directly afterward. You should not only make sales situations fun, but also try to give yourself play breaks. Play breaks help take some of the pressure off during stressful situations in which you might be using avoidance behaviors. In these cases, take a brief break. You might try to remember an amusing film you saw or an interesting radio commercial you've just heard on your company's internal music system. You might observe a bit of ridiculousness in the way a person walks through the hallway. Or you may, as I do, pick up a sheet of paper, walk to an associate's desk, and tell them your favorite joke. Some people may see taking time out from making phone calls as being undisciplined, but if it relaxes you and as a result makes you more productive, play breaks are a great way to take the pressure off and enjoy your workday. Play breaks don't require a particular methodology as much as an attitude of moderation. An essential element of effective play breaks is to have enough discipline to keep them short and to stop the break from itself becoming an avoidance behavior. Used in small amounts, sprinkling play breaks throughout your day is much like putting a pinch of salt on mashed potatoes. You can greatly enhance the enjoyment of your meal or of your work. Alright, now we're moving to the three-minute phobia cure. One of the most interesting and provocative ways to deal with your sabotaging fears is what psychotherapists Richard Bandler and Joe Grinder call their three-minute phobia cure. Through a process called neurolinguistic programming, Bandler and Grinder have confounded traditional psychotherapists for years. They believe many with fears and phobias unconsciously allow their psychotherapists to lull them into months and even years of counseling. At a rate of over $100 an hour, this becomes very lucrative for the psychotherapists. But Bandler and Grinder believe that people with fears have simply not allowed themselves to dissociate from feeling of past experiences. For example, when they picture their feared activity, such as driving on the freeway, they also imagine the panic they once felt some years earlier. They avoid this panic by not driving on the freeway, or in some cases by, by not driving at all. 
Bandler's and Grinder's phobia cure simply helps the sufferer associate with pleasant memories and disassociate from unpleasant memories. While this may sound very simple, the hard part is to do it often enough, with enough concentration that your brain molds the new fearless habit. Then the mind automatically triggers only pleasant memories and forgets unpleasant ones. They report that the three-minute phobia cure is one of the quickest and most persuasive ways of changing people and their specific behaviors. Here is how it works. If you have a fear of being in elevators, for example, imagine you're sitting in the middle of a movie theater. On the screen, you see a black and white photograph of yourself in the situation you experienced just before you had the initial phobic response or anxiety. Standing outside the elevator. The next step is to imagine yourself not in the middle of the theater, but in the projector booth. Here you can watch yourself sitting in the middle of theater, watching yourself in a still photograph on the screen. The next step is to turn the photograph into black and white movie. Back in the middle of the theater, you watch the fi this film of yourself outside the elevator, walking into the elevator followed by the events up to the end of the unpleasant experience. Bandler and Grinder suggest that when you get to the end of the movie, you stop again on a final frame in the film and then suddenly jump inside the picture and roll the movie backward. Everybody and everything in the movie walks backwards, runs backwards, totally in reverse. You are basically rewinding the film except that you are in the film watching yourself moving backwards through the elevator. The only rule in running the movie backwards is you must imagine it in color and take only one to two seconds to do it. In this phobia cure, you distance yourself from your own actions by imagining that you're watching yourself watch yourself on a screen in a black and white movie of the entire unpleasant experience. You then undo the experience by imagining yourself jumping inside the picture and then running in rapidly backwards in color. In a way, you are ridiculing your phobic anxiety response in the elevator by imagining the experience as a sort of slapstick sign gag. But this method may also give you some relief from, from anxiety. By the end of the cure, you imagine yourself in color, rapidly relieving this event from a point of highest anxiety backward to the point of no anxiety. You're going very quickly from bad to good. This cure could also work with telephone calls. If you have a horrible fear of calling people on the telephone, you could simply imagine yourself in the middle of the movie theater, seeing up on the screen <clears throat> a black and white photograph of yourself just before making a phone call which gives you very high anxiety then imagine yourself in the projection booth watching yourself watch yourself start staring at the telephone about to make a call 
then turn that snapshot into a black and white movie and watch the movie progress from you starting as a telephone to making the telephone call, having a conversation, feeling the anxiety, and eventually hanging up. Then stop the movie, the movie and stare at it if it were a slide photograph. See yourself jumping inside these slides and run the movie backward in color at an extremely rapid rate. You are actually becoming disassoci disassociated from the anxiety of the phobic experience of making the telephone call. The cure has been used with great this cure has been used with great success. Many people have absolutely no symptoms of, of the phobia after this treatment as well as no symptoms for weeks and months afterward. This technique is both simple and exceptional. Try it in the next time you feel any anxiety about making a telephone call, seeing somebody face to face, speaking in front of a group, or when you find that any of the sabotaging fears, rejection, embarrassment, failure, or success, rear their ugly heads. The risk is minimal, the benefits may be enormous. Alright, so this is it, the end of chapter 7. The next chapter is chapter 8. How to eliminate your performance barriers using SUDs to wash away self-sabotaging fears. Yeah. But we're going to discuss it next time. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye.